unquestionably one of the most significant and triumphant junctures in the unfolding of any human life is that moment of awakening to the love that we are. Awakening to the love that we always were and the love that we always will be. And this awakening is not an awakening of privilege and it is not an awakening of circumstance. It is an awakening of birthright. This awakening to what has been called scripturally as our essential goodness. There's this beautiful word in Buddhism, the teachings of the Buddha called bodhicitta, the enlightened heart-mind. This awakening to the enlightened heart-mind is the awakening to the primordial truth of being that is not personal and that has nothing to do with me and with you. And this spiritual journey of awakening to, if you will, what has been forgotten might be looked as a journey of remembrance, of remembering the loveliness that was forgotten and that is being remembered and the whole unfolding of the way, if I could look at it in terms of time and space, of journeying, of path, is really one of dealing with all that obscures this essential loveliness that we already are. I remember once, I'm sure some of you were here, we were doing um, walking meditation around the pond and it was winter and the clouds were heavy and low and all of a sudden the clouds opened and there was this breathtaking view of Mauna Kea volcano topped with snow about a third of the way down. It was such a great surprise. And I've always remembered that as, for me, a very touching image of what the whole journey is about. The clouds open and the essential loveliness is there as it always was. And I think given this time of the year of Christmas trees and holiday seasons, if you allow me to be biblical just for a moment, Christ's injunction when he said, many are called, but few are chosen, I think has been sadly often interpreted as that there's some sort of privileged community of people, an inner circle that have privy and access to truth and to love. But I have no doubt that what he meant was that the many are called and that the choosing is a process of self-selection. Do we, in the living of this precious human life that we all share, 
Do we settle for a love that is mediocre, for a love that is circumscribed, for a love that is perhaps fixated on the other, that is limited and conditioned? Or do we as human beings in this blessed privilege of life and breath that we share, do we incline the footfalls of these beautiful hearts towards that love and that peace that passeth all understanding? And for me, I feel personally that is the most critical question in the blessing of this life. The Sufis would say that this journey of remembrance is the whole process of the heart remembering its relationship with God. And this journey of, of remembrance, this journey of home, the homecoming of the heart as the Sufis call it, is about a relationship that is more intimate than any that we could ever possibly have. This relationship with God is the most intimate relationship we could possibly have. And it's confounding to our minds because we are so deeply conditioned to believe that the deeply intimate requires, intimates, involves the deeply personal. And this intimacy, this love affair with the beloved is the most impersonal relationship that we could possibly have. Because this relationship with the beloved, with God, with this essential love that we are has nothing to do with the personal. It has nothing to do with self-reference, with me, mine, I, with the personality, with the personal. And from the perspective of the divine, from the perspective of the soul, if you will, from the spiritual, this true and trustworthy intimacy is birthed upon that particular landscape where there is an unutterable dissolution of the sense of self. And in the dissolution of the sense of self is birthed a knowing by experience of the oneness of the all, not by belief, but by experience. And in this knowing of the oneness of the all, is birth this remembrance of the love that we are. And so in Buddhism and in all of the, the traditions, there are words that point towards this experience of love. And the two in Dharma, which is word used to describe the teachings of the Buddha, the word Maitri or metta are translated as loving-kindness, this essential love that we are. Sometimes it's translated as friendliness, and I kind of like that, loving-kindness, friendliness. 
And the Buddha called these these um, these qualities of the heart, the the divine abodes, the Brahma Viharas, of which there are four of them, these qualities of the homecoming of the heart, he categorized them as loving kindness, this metta, maitri, uh, compassion, which is karuna, mudita, which is sympathetic joy, which is the beautiful quality of heart where there's a joy in the happiness of others. It's considered the opposite of jealousy and covetousness and envy. And the last of these is equanimity. Equanimity is the capacity of heart to rest and receive things just the way they are, as I intimated in the meditation instructions. Just the capacity to accept life just the way it is. And these divine abodes, these abodes of the divine, are considered a prerequisite for happiness in the present and happiness in, in, the, in the future. And so what we're going to do today in the meditation uh, practices I'll be offering is it's kind of like just jump-starting what is already there. You know, I feel, and in the talks in the last months, the last retreat, in the, in the sitting groups, we've been giving a lot of thought to spiritual practice and what it is and our relationship with practices and how we can become so enmeshed in a particular practice that we lose all particular connection with with the fact that they are just pointers and that we can become so involved with them that we identify more with the practice and lose touch with, with um, we lose sight of the prize. We, we don't keep our eyes on the prize. And so these practices are, are offered in that spirit as a way of pointing towards the loveliness that we are right here, right now. And so too with these objects of love that you have brought, thank you very much, that they are another skillful means. The Buddha taught skillful means of evoking and helping the heart reveal the loveliness of its, of its, of its nature. And so these practices involve the silent repetition of words. And I'll be offering an array of phrases over the course of the day. And the invitation is to use the ones that feel like they have meaning and to perhaps adjust them or amend them to words that feel appropriate for you. It may even be that words feel unnecessary, that there can just be a resting in a particular experience uh, in the body. I'm going to trust that you're going to find that particular way of using these suggestions that feels most appropriate and true for you. It's said scripturally, and there's a lot of really beautiful things, so I'm going to quote the scriptures a little more than I usually do today. It's said that, uh, without apology, uh, it's said that, um, that when beings do loving kindness, they bring out the devas which means that they bring out the spirits, all the beloved beings, disembodied beings. 
And for those of you that are aware of these things will know that this particular mountainside is full of beloved spirits. And so I've no doubt that apart from who we see with our physical eyes here, there is gathered a huge community uh, cheering us on here. There's a lot that goes on on this mountainside. And uh, actually, all these teachings on loving kindness originated the time of the Buddha where um, these monks who were very enthusiastic about practicing meditation went into the forest and there were all these nasty spirits in the forest who would take the form of ghouls and, and demons and ugly people with five heads and six tails and, and would terrify these monks who'd come screaming back to the monastery, you know, shivering and shaking. And, uh, you know, tell the Buddha, we can't practice there. You know, it's just too scary. You know, it's all uh, woo-woo in there. So he gave them these teachings on loving kindness and said, you know, go into the forest and practice these teachings and you'll see that, that uh, um, it will really work. And, of course, they did. And, uh, you know, with all these teachings, they were, of course, all enlightened as well as, you know, uh, being able to practice there. And so they were given initially actually as practices to help ward off the evil spirits. But more essentially, if we take that image, that metaphor more deeply, really these are practices about dealing with those parts of ourselves that are difficult, that are scary. One of the most beautiful statements of the Buddha in the collection of his words called the Dhammapada, he says, hatred never ceases with hatred. Hatred only ceases with love. This is the truth, ancient and inexhaustible. Hatred only ceases with love. And while none of his teachings are offered as laws or regulations for us to believe, they offered as points of inquiry for us to look within ourselves. So um, if someone was feeling a lot of fear or a lot of anger or resentment, he would often give loving kindness as a practice, as a way of making that particular situation workable. And over the course of the day, we'll, we'll extend loving kindness to ourselves and to those that we love, to neutral people, uh, to our enemies, and then out to the world over the course of the day. And here, too, the invitation is a very loose one. It may be that it just feels appropriate for you today to just keep these feelings close to home, to just stay home with the loving kindness. And that's perfect. You know, some people might think, gosh, you know, they're involved in a very self-involved kind of endeavor today, sending love to themselves. How selfish, you know, when the whole world is suffering. How can they be so myopic and self-centered? And the Buddha felt, and, and perhaps you have a sense of this too, that until there is a love that is consolidated within us, that has ripened and flowered within us, to the degree that that has not happened is really the degree to which the love that we extend to others is, 
is contrived, is limited. And so actually the cultivation of the capacity for harmony and peace, like a, a peace within us, is, is, is really a gift to everyone because the extent to which that love is birthed and flowered, remembered within us is the extent to which it can then be uh, extended to others without contrivance. It almost is without volition. It just happens in and of itself. So we will begin today and spend a little time with ourselves. And then in, in each sitting, we'll begin with ourselves and then open up to to others. Make today uh, an experiment, a loving experiment uh, with loving kindness. Learning to be friendly with ourselves today. A number of years ago I was at a gathering with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. It was a gathering of Western meditation teachers and he was asked what was the single most important thing for us as teachers of meditation in the West to pass on, to bear in mind in the privilege and blessing of what we do. And he said, the single greatest obstacle to awakening in the West is the pervasive degree of self-hatred with which human beings are living. He said, there is no dearth of sincerity and people are very committed and zealous to be free. But until the inner conflict and self-crucifixion is brought to a conclusion, he said, the awakening is not possible to the extent that it would be possible for people willing to really go deeply into this question is, what does it mean in this lifetime to love myself completely? So we connect in this meditation with, with ourselves. We come home and perhaps hopefully discover more deeply today that we are indeed both lovable and love-worthy without limit. This is bold and wild adventuring that we do today. For if we're not connected with ourselves in some sort of loving way, in some foundational way, and perhaps you know this at times, I certainly have known it, that there are times when we just give ourselves minuses, you know, no pluses, you know, where we treat ourselves in the way that we never treat anybody else. That there can be levels of self-hatred, self-disgust, we crucify ourselves, judge ourselves, never give ourselves a break. And not that this is bad, of course, it's to be befriended, to be known. And the practice of loving kindness can be a way of introducing a way of being that can really heal these patterns that tear the collective world apart. So, I'd like to invite you now to join me. We'll sit only for about 15 minutes.
but let's begin and then we'll we'll continue through the day. you once again to just be comfortable. If it feels appropriate, the eyes might be gently closed, but that's not a should and there are no requirements today. And just the invitation is to initially just bring to mind someone whom you have loved and who has loved you. Perhaps someone whom, for whom you feel a loving respect, perhaps a being of your early childhood. Who's loved you perhaps unconditionally. Just have a sense of that person. And for some people that sense can be in the body, sensation. For others it can be an image. Use the senses today. For some people it can be a smell, a fragrance, the smell of their body. Just holding a sense of this particular person who has loved you. And then just offering these words silently if that feels appropriate looking deeply into this person, into this experience, to this sense of this person. And if none of this feels possible, that's fine too, just resting in the experience of it not feeling possible. There's no right or wrong here just a willingness to experience this person right now. Just offering words. You have suffered in this life. You have undoubtedly felt pain in your body, pain in your heart, as a human being you have felt grief and loss and fear and loneliness, just acknowledging the humanity of this beloved one, keep breathing. 
was that your own words in the course of the unfolding of your life you've probably felt alienated lost confused disconnected and just be willing to allow the feeling of love and tenderness perhaps that you felt for this person that you feel for this person to arise, to be there or not to be there, just be willing. Just resting in this remembrance. experiencing, re-experiencing how it felt to receive this love. So important, the receiving of love, so difficult for many. Perhaps at a time when we could trust phrases of loving kindness to this one. May you love and be loved. May you find healing. May you find peace. affirming that this is a sacred space in which all feelings are invited and which have their place for this is about being human and true. May you love and be loved. May you be free from suffering, beloved one. Keep breathing. Allow your heart to connect with this one. wonders which it may do just gently without recrimination with loving tenderness just returning to the experience of this beloved one may you love and be loved and 
be free from the suffering of life. Keep breathing. of the loved one just to recede and just return the focus to yourself to the extent that it's possible looking deeply within and acknowledge that you too have suffered, I have suffered. And we're not talking about being maudlin or self-pitying. Just this acknowledgement of our suffering. spirit of Christ who said what we bring forth from within us will save us and what we don't bring forth will destroy us. Just the truth. And what do you wish yourself? sense of oneself, yourself keep breathing, may I be happy just the way I am. May I be peaceful with what is occurring within me and around me. May I be safe and protected. of well-being within the circumstances of my life right now. May I be safe and protected. myself completely. Just connecting 
with whatever these words mean for you, the real gravity of this self-blessing, wishing well to oneself. Buddha said if we looked all over the world, we'd not find anyone, anyone more deserving of our love, our kindness, our compassion than ourselves. May I be well and happy and peaceful. May no harm come to me. May no difficulty come to me. May no problem come to me. Using whatever phrases have meaning, these are just all the classical phrases that I offer. The women and the men of centuries and centuries have come home in love to the love that they are. May I have patience, courage, understanding, and determination to meet and overcome the difficulties and failures and problems of my life. There's resistance to these phrases. That's perfect. Resistance is the truth of the moment. Just resting with the resistance, receiving the resistance. Loving kindness ripens in its own way, in its own time. Our job, if you will, is just to be willing to love wildly and without inhibition. May I be happy and peaceful. May I be filled with love and kindness and compassion. and freed from suffering and the causes of suffering. 
And in the last five minutes, the invitation is to just extend loving kindness to yourself in whatever way feels appropriate. It might be that there's just an experience, an emotional sensation by sensation experience of loving kindness, just bringing it perhaps into the emotional center of the body, the heart center, a wordless practice, just resting in love and the willingness to love phrases if that feels appropriate, just resting in a willingness to love. Keep breathing. just the way I am. And may I be peaceful with what is occurring within me and around me. a willingness to receive ourselves with love. May I be safe and protected of well-being within the circumstances of my life. May I be free from suffering and all the causes of suffering. myself completely.
May I awaken to the love that I am. be filled with love and kindness and compassion. Just holding ourselves lovingly receiving this love, willing to end the war once and for all time. May I love myself completely. I'm willing to love myself completely. feels appropriate in the next minutes, just repeating whatever phrases have meaning for you. Pointing to a willingness to love inwardly 
without condition or limit, relentlessly without interruption, may I love myself completely. May I, in the living of this precious human life, know what it means to love myself completely. The love consolidated within us, the love that comes home, blesses all sentient beings. invitation in the next minutes, if it feels appropriate, is to move the focus of loving-kindness on to include someone whom you find it very easy to love. Of course, staying with yourself if that feels appropriate. But recall the image, the sense, the memory of someone for whom perhaps you feel gratitude and deep respect. And this feeling can be through any of the six senses. It can be a sense of smell, taste, touch, Imagining the hearing of their voice, image, memory, thought. Just let the feeling of gratitude and love move towards this beloved one.
understanding this matter, this loving-kindness, this friendliness to those, to one whom we find very easy to love. May you be happy and may you too be peaceful. Keep breathing. And may you, beloved one, be filled with love and kindness and compassion. And may you always be healthy, safe and protected. suffer. May you love yourself completely. to time being aware of any feelings, any emotions that there might be, or the absence, perhaps resting in the heart center where often the emotions are felt in the middle of the chest. Some people some of the time extend the phrases from the heart, may you be happy just the way you are. Wishing them well, may you be filled with love. May you be peaceful with what is occurring within you and around you. safe and protected always. May you love yourself completely.
allowing this intimacy with ourselves to flow out to this one that we love. to bring in somebody else or there may be a number of people, whatever feels appropriate. Extending love to that person or those whom we find it so easy to love. suffering. of the meditation, just continuing to extend love to those to whom you find it easy, natural to love. just the way you are. May you be safe and protected.
may you have ease of well-being. So in the next few moments, moving to the standing position. And here too, the invitation is to just continue these expressions of loving kindness to yourselves and to those that, that are loved, that are beloved. to switch and alternate between just receiving the experience of the body, one another, the feelings, but as much as feels appropriate, just being with the loving kindness as we move from the sitting into the standing, into the walking and back into the sitting. Perhaps you have some sense already that what we're doing here is we are in a very real way walking different worlds. On the one world we've evoked together this love that we are and that the journey is one of remembering this loveliness that was always there and will always be there and is there right now. 
And then on the other hand, as perhaps you've experienced, I certainly have, is that where is that love right now? I don't sort of feel it. You know, I can have all these expressions of loving kindness, but there's an experience that's like the clouds maybe are in and there's uh, not feeling connected with that loveliness. And so there's both the knowing of what is ultimately true, which is the absolute reality, say the divine, and then the relative uh, reality, often um, symbolized in the cross. You know, the vertical in the in, you know in the cross is the divine, and the lateral, the horizontal, is uh, the human, the the everyday, the relative world. And it's how we we bring ourselves to this intersection of the divine and the worldly that I think is the real challenge uh, for, for human beings. And so in the endeavor that we're working with today, it's, it's both holding the absolute perspective that I, I sense for you as it does for me, uh, uh, there are the intimations, perhaps the experiences of the absolute, where there's this unshakable knowing at times that fundamentally all that there is is this this love, this essential love. And then there's the agony of feeling disconnected from that. And so these phrases that I'm offering are phrases very much of words and concepts in the everydayness kind of way in which they're offered that point us towards an experience of what is essentially true. And we've extended love to ourselves, we've extended love to, to the other that we love, and sometimes this love for the other can open us to, to the love that is there, or the love of the divine. There's this wonderful story of Hafiz, uh, the Persian poet of the 13th century, who lived in Shiraz, a town that I visited many times. And um, he grew up in a very poor family. His father was a baker. And uh, Hafiz used to, every morning, go and deliver the bread for his father around the town. One of the houses he delivered the bread to was this house of a wealthy family. And the daughter of this family was the object of Hafiz's attention. He absolutely adored her. And every day when he took the loaves of bread to her house, he did everything he could to attract her attention. And she would have nothing to do with him. In fact, she didn't even appear to even know that he existed. It was like the bread arrived, but there was no bearer of the bread. And it was so frustrating for him. And he yearned and he agonized and he tried everything he could and she just was completely oblivious of his presence. And so as was the custom at that time, he in his frustration resolved that he would go into the desert and she rises in the middle of the desert on the um, eastern side of Iran near the border of Afghanistan and he went out there and every night for 40 nights he made a circle in the sand 
and he stepped into the circle and he prayed. He prayed to Allah. He prayed that this girl would recognize him and that she would return his love and they'd live happily ever after. And so at sunset, he was out there into the desert and praying, 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 praying all night. And as the sun came up, he would run back to the bakery, deliver the bread. So he did this for 40 nights, all through the night. And as was uh, promised in the tradition, the mystical tradition uh, of the area, on the 40th night, as the sun was coming up, the archangel Gabriel appeared in all his splendor and you know said to him here I am what do you want my child and Hafiz opened his eyes and saw this magnificence this this visible personification of an expression of the divine the light and he just blurted out I want to know God it was like too much. He forgot all about the young girl. And that was the beginning of his journey. It was almost like the one love took him to the other. And it said that for the next 40 years, he lived in agony of feeling separated from God. He lived in the agony of what the Sufis call this homesickness of the heart of the intimations of God, of the love that we are, the essential goodness that we are, promised, intimated in the flowers, everything around him. He birthed some of the most glorious love poetry ever written. And yet he still felt separate from God. For 40 years he continued, you know, perhaps you did a little bit of that today. It's like, may I be happy, you know, may I be peaceful. It's like, give me a break, you know. <laughs> you know, it's like nothing, but, you know, just keep going, keep eye on the prize, you know, you know, you know, it's my birthright. It's not for some and not for others. It's for all of us. And so after 40 years, he was like totally frustrated. And this time, he went out to the desert, he did a circle, and he didn't leave it for 40 days and 40 nights. And he just you know, was in there for prayer. And it said that on the exact 40th morning after that one 40 years ago, when he was doing all that whining and pining, that the archangel Gabriel came to him again and he said, you know, I want to know God, you know, I've been so good, you know, I, you know, I don't know if he said I've made all this beautiful poetry, you know, blah, 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 but, you know, give me a break. And he went back to Attar, his teacher, and at that time the Sufis were very persecuted and all their practices were very much underground, you know, and so he went back to Attar and, uh, you know, and he, and he said, you know, I've done it again, 40 days, 40 nights in the desert, and here I am still separated from God. And apparently Attar looked at him and said, are you? And he just cracked. Mm -hmm. And he realized that he was not only his beloved master, Attar, that he was God, that he had remembered the love that he was. And he went on to 
continue and he had a hard life he lost his wife he lost his son during those 40 years and you know as a part of this agonizing you know and whining to Atari said you know I've lost my son I've lost my husband I've lost everything and I still don't know God as if that entitled him but he just kept going and then there was this incredible opening of the heart and so you know it's so easy in offering teachings like this that seem so prescriptive where the words are so traditional I've been offering different phrases classical phrases ones that the Buddha offered you know as a sort of almost like a smorgasbord for you to take whatever worked but it's really important to remember that we are all in this incredible process of flowering into this loveliness that we are and that flowering is if I may say so unutterably personal in the sense that we each flower in our own way that we of course need each other how lovely it is to be together in this place with all this credible beauty I mean if you just look at this just this room which is one of many rooms in this place that for me expresses back so much love and so much care and so much kindness I mean just look at all the colors of the blue going up to the ceiling and the, the care with which it is it's almost like anything everything is available to us to awaken within us that tenderness that care that 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 love affair with the, the, the fruition of this love affair with the beloved you know if we can be just just um, available to it and so we've extended this love to ourselves in words on the relative level and just invite you to not in any way uh, circumscribe the possibilities of this time and what it is that we do here because in the end what is happening here is altogether mysterious I mean already probably not many of us know one another in this room but there's a feeling of family in the silence there's a feeling of a sense of occasion and invite you just for a moment to rest in this feeling of one another this this who who we are who we are and if we were to cast our minds back to the time of the, the Buddha when he was probably you know sitting with a bunch of recalcitrant nuns and monks who were you know complaining and whining which they often did you know if you read the suttas you'll see you know they weren't all just in bliss all the time <laughs> there's one story I didn't think I was going to tell it but I'll tell it where where he was teaching them uh, these practices on uh, how foolish it is to get attached to the body he said you know if you get attached to this body it's like 
you're going to be nothing but disappointed, you know, because it's going to get old, it's going to get sick, it's going to die, you know. And so if you attach to it, it's just suffering, suffering, suffering. Which is not to say it's a bad thing, it's a beautiful thing. Use it for what it is, but don't have a relationship with it that creates more suffering in your life. You're suffering enough already. And he, they were driving him nuts, so he said, I'm going off for 30 days. And he just left them and he went off to, to a cave or somewhere. And he came back after 30 days, you know, and half of them had committed suicide. And it was like he said, what's going on here? And they said, well, you know, it's like, you know, you were telling us that this body is sort of disgusting and unreliable and that, you know, it's not worth anything. Don't get... So we really wanted to please you because you were in a snit. So, you know, we thought we'd just take, <laughs> we'd just take our lives. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, um, but he did, he, you know, uh, often he spoke about the benefits of loving kindness as a way of encouraging people. I just want to share with you some of these benefits because they're kind of sweet, but below their sweetness, invite you just to feel into them because they're really beautiful. He says if we practice loving kindness, if we we do these practices of the divine abodes, he says, we will sleep easily, we will wake easily, and we will have pleasant dreams. That sounds pretty good to me. Does it sound pretty good to anybody else? <laughs> and I think part of it that he's pointing to for me is that as we incline our hearts more and more to what is fundamentally true, this love. I think more of, you know, what I pointed to in that quote of Christ, what we bring forth will save us, more of the darkness comes up, but it's the darkness that is freeing. It's the suffering that is the end of suffering. And so when he says we sleep easy, we wake easy, we have pleasant dreams, I think it's less and less is repressed, as less and less is avoided there is greater ease. We sleep easily, we wake easily, there are less dreams. He also says that other people will like us, which I guess is pretty obvious, you know, if we practicing metta, which is friendliness, if we are friendly <coughs> to people, other people will like us. But then he says, he says non-human beings will like us too. Non-human beings will like us too. And for me, that's also lovely. You know, it's almost like, you know what it's like? I mean, you know, if you go, you know, if you were somebody and, you know, you know, and they a little bitter and nasty and vindictive, it's usually their dog is the same. You, you know, have you noticed that? <laughs> Often, not always, you know, we don't make absolutes here. But it's like, you know, I think who we are affects. Next door to where I live, there's this dog, Cookie, and Cookie is like, likes nobody. I mean, Cookie is really nasty. And I watch from my house the people cycling by, and Cookie comes flying out, and I've seen so many people come off. And it's like, you know, I, I started approaching Cookie, but I was a little scared because she snarls, she, all, half her hair is off, she's mangy. I mean, her whole tail hasn't got hair. I mean, this poor thing is suffering, you know. 
and it was like, eventually it was like, you know, I would just, I practiced loving kindness. I generated so much that it just kind of had like, I was sort of like in the slipstream of loving kindness as I went up to her. And it was like, it really made a difference if I was able to go up with her with love. So now I'm actually included in, in the very few people who, who Cookie loves. Yeah. <laughs> Non-beings like us and plants too. You know, I mean, there are all these tests on, you know, if we love our plants and talk to the plants, you know. Love, beloved plants are happy plants, you know. And it seems like there's even scientific evidence for that. You know, we look at our planet, you know, that is just in such agony. I mean, there's just suffering on so many levels, you know. You know, and maybe, and we will, if, you know, at the end of the day, as we become more and more inclusive of loving kindness, extend it to the world around us. Not in some contrived way, but affirming our relationship with this world, that we will touch it lightly and respectfully and lovingly with gratitude. And I'm quite sure that if human beings, present and past, had loved this planet, and the non-humans of this planet, that it would be an altogether different place than it is now. And this was two and a half thousand years ago when he said that uh, non-human beings will love us too. And then he goes on and he, say, he says, um, our face will be serene. Our face will be serene if we practice loving kindness. <laughs> and that's pretty obvious too, I think. You know, people, you know, I've certainly seen it myself, when I'm in the grip of an anger or fear or something, it's so reflective on the countenance. And yet, you know, um, with those who, uh, who have awakened, there is a feeling of, of, of ease that's reflected physically too in their bodies very beautiful, even if the physical circumstances are challenging. It says that we will experience a calm mind if we practice loving kindness. You know, the Buddha said that hatred never ceases with hatred, and so if there's just this, this impulse for loving kindness, this, this um, essential goodness, that the mind is experienced as more calm. And it's said that loving kindness will protect us wherever we go. Loving kindness will protect us wherever we go, one of the benefits. And I've always felt that part of what that must mean is that if we can receive the circumstances of life as they arise, with a heart that is lovingly accepting and not fighting and in conflict with what arises. When we're not governed by that very instinctual impulse to want to fix things because we don't like the way they are, that actually it is a protection. It's a protection from that impulse not to accept things as they are. For out of our capacity of heart to be with the circumstances that arise both within us and around us 
just the way they are is then birthed a response that is so much more trustworthy than those impulses that so many human beings have to want to choreograph and change and order things so that they are just the way we would like them to be. And lastly, it said that we will die peacefully if we practice loving kindness. And I guess that's going to be a forthcoming attraction <laughs> for all of us. Yeah. So the next category that I want to move on to is a really interesting one, and I don't want to say too much about it because, you know, it'll feel a little like I'm scripting it. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say too much, but we're going to move on now to a neutral person. A neutral person. And what the neutral person means, and I have all these notes here because there's so much about loving kindness, and I just want to be sure that I don't forget anything because, you know, I can be a chatterbox and I can go off in different directions and then forget. But it's said in the scriptures that it's someone for whom we feel neither liking nor disliking. And just in, in, in this particular um, cycle of the loving-kindness, just really look deeply into the experience of your life to find those for whom there is a neutral feeling, someone about whom there has been no judgment, either good or bad, completely neutral. And we extend loving-kindness to this neutral person. How are we doing here? Um, and then I think after that we'll just touch into a difficult person and we'll return to that after lunch. But after the sitting we'll walk, we'll come together and I will open up for just so that we can speak a little if there are any problems, any concerns, any issues, and then we'll close for lunch and we'll come back for the afternoon session. Does that feel good? Okay, let's go.